Thank you, ladies. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, if you would today for the message, Ephesians chapter 6. And if you're able to stand, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, circle the word stand, against the wiles of the devil. But the, uh, excuse me, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, circle the word withstand, in the evil day, and having done to all, to stand, circle the word stand. Verse 14, circle the word stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's bow our heads for prayer, please. Father, we bow our heads today in your presence and we do remember our pledge in the Word of God for you told us to always remember Jerusalem and Israel, your chosen people. And Father, as they're in the battle today in the Mideast, I pray you'll guide and direct wherever it needs to be directed, whatever your will is in the coming Lord events and happening there around the country and around the world. All of us are going to be affected by it. And Lord, I do pray that some way, somehow, We'll be drawing closer to you, realizing all events you allow to happen, Lord, in your own divine providence. We cannot control God. We're not trying to control you. We simply yield ourselves to you to ask you for divine wisdom, that we may live the life that be pleasing to thee, and bless every effort, Lord, for peace. And we would know only true peace will only come when the Lord Jesus returns again. Unto that day, help us to be faithful to the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. May be seated. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, just for another additional verse, for he says, For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. I want to talk this morning about moral backbone. To be able to stand in a wicked world, which God has commanded us to do so, especially as Christian people. Several weeks ago, I gave a little illustration about the young girl who was 13 years of age, and they were having a big convention by atheism. And the atheist was trying to prove there was no God. And you've heard the story probably many times, but I used it just about two weeks ago. But the atheist, for one hour, he spouted the belief in there is no God. And nobody, he said, if you can prove there is a God, prove it to me now. Nobody said a word. It was complete silence in this auditorium. Now, all of a sudden, a 13-year-old girl rose to her feet, and all she did began to sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. His cause must not suffer loss. And she began to sing that. And then other folks began to catch the same song. Before long, the whole congregation stood their feet and sung, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. His cause must not suffer loss. The atheist had nothing to say. He could not combat that. A 13-year-old girl took a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Down through the annals of time about the moves of God, many times it's been a young person. It's been somebody in their youth. 
who's got on fire for God, who loved God so much that they were willing to sacrifice their very life and their very testimony in front of other folks that they were not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul was not ashamed after his conversion on the road to Damascus when God gloriously saved him. He was the man named Saul in the Bible. Most of you know that. And he was a killer of Christians. That was his job, persecutor of Christians. He was on his way to kill some Christians. He eventually would be there probably when Deacon Stephen was stoned to death. And the Apostle Paul gave the order and probably held the clothes of, the, of Deacon Stephen while a coat while Deacon Stephen was stoned to death in the book of Acts chapter 6 and 7. And yet Apostle Paul was converted and became a great flaming evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul found something different in Jesus Christ than in Judaism. He found something different in Jesus Christ than the religions of the world. He found that in Jesus Christ was the answer to the needs of the whole world. And he died eventually at the block of Roman Empire with his head severed from his body. And when he was going probably to his death, he probably said again to those soldiers who were taking him there, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation. Gospel means good news. And it sure is good news today in the midst of all the travail and all the pain and all the heartache and all the difficulty and all the things we see troubling the world. I'm glad if you just look close enough, you'll understand that Jesus is the answer. And there'll never be true peace in the Middle East until the Lord Jesus returns again on the clouds of glory. And he's coming back. And all God's people said the glorious hope and the glorious appearing of the great God our Savior is given to us in the word of God and so the apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus he said I want you to learn how to stand I want you to withstand I want you to stand now I believe this with all my heart it's going to be a, it's going to be a testing time for all of us worldwide because Christians are in that loop with the Jews the Jews are our ancestors Jesus Christ was a Jew when he came this world now, Judaism won't save you, and it won't save the Jews today. But the fact is, they are God's chosen people. He's going to use them again. They have been blinded in their eyesight spiritually, according to Paul's writing, chapter 12, chapter 8, 9, 10 of the book of Romans. And they don't see good. They don't understand it. And they, they're looking for something and trying to find the answer in Jesus Christ. Everything typifies and magnifies and clarifies us when we read the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. It was yesterday. It was today. It will be tomorrow. And the only answer this old sin-sick world has is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that as a small boy, I knelt on my knees in Cranberry, West Virginia. My brother preached last week. He passed that church for 33 years. My dad passed there seven years. But I knelt from the front pew and made my way to the altar in the best way I knew how. Somebody said, Preacher, what'd you pray? I said, Dear Lord, would you save me? Or what'd you understand about religion? I knew there was a God that loved me. That's all I knew. I knew that God loved me and Jesus Christ died on the old rugged cross for my sins. And three days later, he arose from the dead. That's all you got to know to believe in that and trust God as your Savior. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I now confess you as my Savior and trust him. That's been many, many years ago. I've just been watching the news. Maybe I'm a newsaholic. I'm not, sometimes I watch too much, too much news. But I've been sort of watching in and out of the conflict in Israel and with Israel coming down on the Hamas and getting ready to go in and wipe them from the face of the earth is what they say. Wherever that happens, I'm not sure altogether how it's going to transpire. But I sat there and thought those big cities just being leveled, just being leveled to the ground, both sides, just leveled. 
and thousands of people will die. That's been true down through the annals of time in religious wars. We didn't come to fight. Jesus Christ said, put up your sword. As far as Christians, I'm not to go out and try to fight anybody physically unless they attack me and I'm trying to protect my family. And I will do that because I'm going to have some moral backbone to stand for my family. If you come in with a gun at our house, Nancy will grab a gun and shoot you. I bought her a pink gun several years ago. She always took her, took her test, and we took the test together for getting our permit and shooting the target. And this is true, I'm confessing. My wife was a better shot than I was. She don't let me forget that. And I said, honey, I'll get you, I'll buy you a pistol. She said, I want a little thing, I want a shotgun. She said, when somebody comes in, I just want to spray him, you know, real good. She talks tough, you know, sometimes. But uh, I went and bought her a pink shotgun. So I, I don't know where it's at. Somewhere at our house, there's a pink shotgun. I don't know where the pistol is, and probably I have to run and get it and load it before somebody kills me. I say, hold it just a minute. i got to load my gun. Don't, don't shoot me. <laughs> but I do believe in standing for what's right and standing for truth and protecting your family and being a man. Being a man. Amen? Men need to be men. Women need to be women. That's what God intended for to be. And if you don't know which one you are, just read the Bible tell you what you are. You're either a man or a woman. No in between. Not trying to play games. Not trying to play footsies with uh, psychology and sociology. And say, I just don't know what I am. A judge sat there before the, the investigation committee and she didn't know what a woman was. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm 77 years old. I may not be the brightest star on the blank. may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I know the difference between a man and a woman. Amen. I think. Then I begin to wonder sometimes about some of them, what they're trying to be. That God loves them just as much as anybody else. Everybody just needs to come to Jesus. It'll be a wonderful world when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. And for 1,000 years, the Lord Jesus is going to sit on the Jerusalem's king on the throne and rule this world in peace. Read the Bible. You say, well, I don't believe it. Read the Bible. It's in the Bible. And all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament talks about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that'll be when real peace comes to everybody, including the Jewish nation, will receive him as the Lord Jesus Christ. They're looking for a Messiah, and the Messiah's on the way. He's already come the first time. He's coming the second time. Uh, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. But I don't understand. And any old dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a live fish to go upstream. It takes somebody with some life. He says, if you live... And staying fast. If you're alive and you are alive spiritually and God has saved your soul, you know for a fact if you died right now, you go to heaven. He says, I want you to stand. And he says, I want you to realize that you've got to stand fast. I want you to realize you can't just make your mouth around about it. You've got to have moral backbone. When you get saved, all the apostles died. We mentioned the other day. All of them died martyrs' death except one. That was John, who eventually died of old age probably on the Isle of Patmos, who gave us the book of Revelation. But all the other 11 apostles died a martyr's death and gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you begin to read their life in the New Testament of these, these disciples, you wonder what in the world was going to happen to them. And they, they won't mount too much. But every one of them stood bold, stood with moral backbone because Jesus told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He told them to be a witness everywhere they went. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And upon this rock I'll build my church. And Jesus Christ said that to his disciples. And those disciples after the day of Pentecost spread out to the whole wide world. It went to Jerusalem. It went to Judea. It went to Samaria. And eventually was scattered across the oceans and reached America. I'm glad the gospel came to America. I'm glad it came to an old hillbilly boy outside of Beckley, West Virginia. I'm glad God could 
plow down your plow, down your row. He can come to your street. He can come to your address. He knows exactly where you live. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows exactly how you live. He knows exactly what you need. And there's nobody, there's nobody, there's nobody like the Lord Jesus Christ who can change a life. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Why? Because Jesus Christ lives on the inside. Because confessing Him is my Savior and being not being ashamed to stand for Him in these latter days. If I falter, push me on. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, just shoot me. I don't want to turn my back on the best friend I ever had in this world, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I give you three reasons right quick for reasons for moral backbone. Number one, because of His excellency. Because He is an excellent being. What's that mean, preacher? The Bible says two times in the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 9, it talks about how excellent is His name. Whose name? Jesus Christ. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. The because there's only one like Him. The Lord means Master. Jesus means Savior. Christ means Messiah. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One that came down from heaven. When God wrapped Himself in flesh and became a man, and for 33 years he lived among us. And not one time did he sin. Not one time. He was perfect. He was tempted at all points like you and, you and I are, but without sin. And Jesus Christ took your sins and my sins in his own body and nailed him to the cross of Calvary over 2,000 years ago. I'm glad that Jesus paid the sin debt I couldn't pay. He paid my sin debt on the cross when he let his blood be shed for me. And you say, what's in the blood? It was perfect blood. It was perfect. It was God's blood. Jesus was the Son of God. It was real blood, but it was God's blood. It had one contamination in it. The reason why you sin, the reason why I sin, because my blood's been contaminated by Adam in the Garden of Eden. And everybody been born since that day has a contaminated bloodstream. You say, preacher, why do people sin? Because they're sinners. That's the reason why. Because they go away from God immediately. You know, a child will turn away from God quickly if you're not careful. And, and they begin to sin very quickly. i tell you how quickly they sin. A baby will cry like the baby was crying a while ago. That's natural for a baby to cry because they're sinners. Now, they're not going to hell. They're just be, they'd be protected by God. But a child will lie to you. Now, don't think you the child's never lied to you. It's like when you put them in the bed and you get in your bed and they cry. They cry. And you go in you pick them up and pat them on the back. Everything's all right. And you lay them back down. You go back to bed and then you hear them crying again. You go back in, you change their diaper. Put them back now. Everything's all right. Bye. Good night. I love you. Mama loves you. And they go to sleep. And then you get back and, and then they start screaming again. Then you check it. Well, I just fed them just a few hours ago. They can't be hungry. And what you find out is they're, they're lying to you. What they really want you is to hold them close and pat them on the back. Instead of putting them in the jail cell, you have for them that little crib. You got bars on them. You seen them? That's what they are. <laughs> Andrew, one night when he was real young, he beat his head against the bars of the prison we had for him. Little little crib down there. And he's throwing one of them Nancy Key fits. And he was beating his head against the rails like that. And they said, he's going to hurt himself. I said, he'll quit when it hurts hard enough. Amen. You tend to try to tend to all the needs he has the best you can. Then you've got to realize they're just lying to you. Now, don't think your kids don't lie. Because the Bible tells us all of us have lied. We all, like sinners, go astray from God. 
we've got to teach them the right way. That's why we've got to teach them what's right and what's wrong. That's our responsibility. And sometimes that's a great task in itself. But we're all sinners. We're all depraved. We're all headed for hell without Jesus Christ. So I'm glad there is a Savior. So because of His Excellency, He alone is worthy. He is the preeminent one. Turn to Colossians, just a few chapters over from where He was in the visions. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. The preeminent one. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things... He might have preeminence. Jesus Christ is first in your life. I think Roger said it when he was here in revival meeting. He says he is the entire list. You make your list of what you want in life, then you write Jesus on top of that. He is to be first and foremost in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God has given the degree that he would be first in your life, not secondary. And somewhere along the way, he's been pushed to the background of our life. It's sort of like leftovers. I'm not opposed to leftovers. I like them sometimes. Mama used to fix leftovers for us. We'd have uh, chicken on Sunday and pinto beans and fried taters, and then everybody ate the chicken, so we had pinto beans and fried taters on Monday. Just warmed up a little bit, so you're going to be sure we ate them all. When there's five kids sitting at the table, you just got to fix what you got to fix. Mama sometimes put everything in a bowl and called it soup. I don't know what in the world was in that thing she fixed. But she threw a little of this, a little of that in there and fixed soup for us. And we were able to eat. But I like it when she brought it the first, first meal. The, the fried chicken. Moist and sweet. And the fried potatoes. And the pinto beans. And the onions. And the okra. And the squash. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I knew he'd get you preaching after a while. Don't take much to get y'all stirred up. Y'all hungry already? Say, preacher, if you'll be quiet, we'll go eat. But I like the first meal, nothing like it. Not opposed to leftovers. God don't want your leftovers. He don't want your leftovers. Well, if I have time, I'll serve God. He don't want your leftovers. He wants you to give him first place in your life. What the Bible says, in all things, he's to have preeminence. I don't know what you mean, what you mean with the word all. All means all, and that's all it can mean. In every facet of our life, all of us fail in, in that area. All of us fail from time to time, but all of us ought to realize that He wants everything we have. I don't have anything. Everything I have, God's loaned to me. The Bible says children are heritage of the Lord. Your children loan to you for a certain time, a certain period of time, for you to raise them in the rear of the fear of admonition of God. Your, your, your car, your house, is not yours. If you think it is, when you die to go with somebody else for a while, they'll have the title. You don't own anything. You're just passing through. The Bible calls us stewards of His possessions. I'm in charge of what God puts in my hand. You are to a steward as a manager of somebody else's affairs. I'm to help manage what God wants me in my business, in my affairs to do. You're to manage God in your affairs and give Him first place in your life. And He can run your business better than you can. You'd be surprised what God can do. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipresent everywhere at the same time. I like a God like that. And nobody else is like that. Even the devil is not able to go everywhere at the same time. But God is able to be everywhere at the same time. You say, preacher, that don't make sense. I've said thousands of times over these 52 years pastoring this church and over 56 years of preaching, I believe with all my heart that God is everywhere at the same time. He's omnipresent. How can that be? I don't know. If I knew everything about God, I'd be God. So I've got to trust in somebody that I, don't know, that I don't know all about. I can't tell you everything God can do and, and explain it to you. I don't understand. I've heard this before. If you stick around our church a while, you've heard everything ever said two or three times. 
I don't understand how a black cow can give white milk and yellow butter. I don't understand that. But I'm going to drink the milk and eat the butter. I just trust somebody knew what they were doing when they made a cow. And who made the first cow? God did. Who named the first cow? Adam did. Adam named all the animals in the, in the Garden of Eden. God told him to. And he, saw, he looked this, this, this being looked like a cow. And said, Adam said, well, let me see what I'm going to call. I'm going to call that a cow. He got down to the tiger. He said, I'm going to call that a tiger. Now, he named them. That's what the Bible said. He named every animal that was the name. He got down to the hippopotamus. And boy, he really quizzed him out there. He said, what am I going to name the hippopotamus? He hadn't got the name yet. He said, I'm going to call that a hippopotamus. And somebody said to Adam, said, why in the world did you name that one a hippopotamus? He said, because it's the only one that looked like a hippopotamus. I don't know what that means in Adam's vocabulary. I don't know what I call it either. It's a weird-looking animal, and a hippopotamus is. But God is God, and beside God there is none other. And He's able to take all the complexities and perplexities of our lives because He's the excellent one. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and able to make our lives what they ought to be in this world of sin and sorrow and trouble and heartaches and, and all kinds of difficulties. Colossians says He's to be preeminent in all things. Well, Satan has never done one good thing for me. And I'm going to say it publicly, I hate the devil. I know I don't hate you. I don't hate anybody that I know of in my life. I don't hate, know anybody I hate. But I hate the devil. And I hate all that he is. I asked the secretary to type this up for me this week. I found it somewhere months ago. But it's the following. The titles of Satan in the Bible. What's he called? I'll not give you all the scripture references or scripture references for each one of these. The devil is called Satan. He's called the day star. He's called the son of the morning. He's called the anointed cherub, Ezekiel. He's called the devil. He's called the tempter. He's called the ruler of demons. He's called Beelzebub. He's called the evil one. He's called the enemy. He's called the liar, the father of lies. He's called the murderer, the ruler of this world, the god of this age, the angel of the light. He's Belial, ruler of the authority of the air. He's our adversary. He's a roaring lion. He's the angel of the Abbas. He's Apollon and Abaddon. He is a dragon, Revelation 12. He's the old serpent, Revelation 12, 9. He is the deceiver of the whole world, Revelation 12, 9. The accuser of God's people, Revelation 12, 10. How many are they? I found 26 references to the devil. That covers the whole alphabet, just about 26 letters in the alphabet. He's everything that's bad and evil. The devil is evil. The devil is a liar. The devil is a father of liars. The devil is a murderer. He's the father of murderers. Behind every sin, there was a devil who tempted Eve. Eve gave in to that sin and gave to her, her husband Adam, and he did eat. And his eyes were open, the Bible says. And by one man, sin entered the world. And death by sin. And death passed upon all men because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the first verses you read in the book of Romans, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm passing through this world one time. My journey is on the other side. I got less years left than I got more years left unless God lets me live to be 188. I don't think He's going to do that. One of these days won't be long until my journey is going to be over and we'll pass through the curtain of death and the shadow of death and we'll go to the other side. I'm glad I got a Savior. I'm glad God reached down and saved my soul. He's led me all these years and by the good grace of God, He's going to take me to heaven when this life is over. I don't worry a lot about dying. I'm concerned about if I get real sick, I'm going to call the doctor, so I don't think I'm that brave about it. But all of us sometimes get a little nervous about subjects that we don't know about. Most Some of the bravest people I've seen when you come down to dying sometimes have a little fear and apprehension. 
Why is that? Because we've never done it before. But I know somebody who has. His name is Jesus. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anyhow, different titles of Satan. He's never done one good thing. I was trying to think a list of things he's done for me that's been good. I can't find one. I can't find one good thing the devil's ever done for me. When I make my list of Jesus, it's like this. Very quickly and I'll be through. He gave me a purpose in my life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I have a desire to go to heaven. I have a desire to stay. He says, I'm in the fix too. I want to go and I want to stay. I want to go to heaven be with the Lord. I want to stay here if I can help somebody. He found a purpose for his life. He said, well, my purpose is to live for Christ. That's your whole purpose for living, Christ. Just sum it up, take it home, wrestle with it, digest it. Your whole purpose for life is Jesus Christ. He is the creator of the world. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things that were made were made by Him, talking about Jesus. He is the creator of the world. And you say, how about God the Father? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost makes up the Trinity. They're one person and three personalities. And I can't explain the Trinity to you anymore than I can some other things. But I'm going to tell you that's what the Bible said. I just learned a long time ago, I don't need explanations for everything. I just got promises. You can't explain everything in the world. I can't explain to you I can't explain salvation. How a great big God who's everywhere, when you call out to him and say, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I realize my need of Christ. Would you come into my heart and save me, please, in Jesus' name, that that great big God, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to dwell on the inside of your body in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a human God, God, man. He went back to heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. He said, I'll send the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be with you. So when I got saved, I didn't realize this for a long time, that the Holy Spirit come and dwell inside of my body. My body is a temple of the Holy Ghost of God. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And that price is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's done for me is he's given me a purpose for life. I had my plans. I, had my, I took college courses in, college, in high school. So I'll go to college. Nobody in our family been to college. So I want to go to college. And I took the classes. Or they took me, one or the other. But I graduated from high school with some dreams and aspirations. We didn't have any money. Then I figured out to go to college. Finally got me a job working at Lumber, Hamer Lumber Company. I stacked lumber for a long time. They graded lumber and stacked it in a sack and we hauled it off the trucks. I did that for a long time. And then I had an opportunity to go to Armco Steel in Ashland, Kentucky. I had three men who said, James, if you go and pass the test, we'll help you. I went and took all three tests, failed one, passed two. But he had to pass all three to be an employee back in those days. This is not a pity story, but I hitchhiked over there and I hitchhiked across the Ohio River going back over to Ohio where we lived. I was the loneliest guy in the whole world. No dreams being fulfilled. Graduated from high school. I always liked to enjoy life. I've had a good life. I always had a sense of humor. and Sometimes I could laugh about a lot of things. I just loved to laugh. But I hitchhiked back across the Ohio River. And a few months later, I was in a revival meeting with my uncle who was preaching, and I went lonely and sad. Saved, going to heaven when I die, that's pretty good. 
If you asked me if I saved, I said yes. And I believe with, by God's grace I was. But that's, that night in revival, I was sitting about more than Mr. Phillips was sitting, that's where I was sitting, about the front there. I had on a gold blazer, sharp-looking dude I was, <laughs> and on black pants and, you know, a tie to match and everything. I don't know why I remember that, but I remember when the invitation was given, I walked down the aisle best I could. I got on my knees and said, Lord, my life's yours. I don't know where to take me, what you want me to do, but by the grace of God, I want to serve you. I had already been knowing in my heart what I was supposed to do. God wanted me to be a preacher. And for two years from the time I was 16 to 18, I ran from that. I just shrugged it off. But that night I didn't shrug it off. I said, Lord, here I am. Best I know how. Just take me. And God took me. And on that night, I walked out of that church a brand new guy spiritually. A few weeks later, I stood to preach my first sermon. My daddy was a preacher, so later I got to preach revival for him. Scared to death, petrified, shy, backward, timid. And most of you have heard my story. The most unlikely guy in all the world to be a preacher is the one you're looking at now. I'd get sick giving a book report in high school. I never was that, that had that ability to just stand up for people and talk. Not do don't do too good a job at it now. But that's what God called me to do. You know where I went? I went to college. How to go to college? Just prayed and God provided the funds. I went four years to Bible college. Graduated with a BA. Went on to get my master's degree later on. And I'm grateful for that. Not, not that that makes me any better than anybody else. I'm just glad I was able to finish college. And one thing I met at college, I met Nancy. You, you look back over your life and see how God directs your life, what God's done for you. It's saved and unsaved, how God has protected you. Some of you should have already been dead. But God lets you live for some reason. I don't understand all the reasoning behind God's plan. And my moral backbone, I should stand up because of His excellency. But I met Nancy there at Bible College. He said, how do you know it was the will of God? Well, let me, give you, let me give you a test. Number one, she was pretty. Number two, she talked like a Yankee. She talked like a North Carolina Tar Heel. She didn't know how to, she didn't know how to talk right. She talked funny. She called her ambulance. We called her ambulance up in West Virginia. She called ambulance. She called water, water. She had that North Carolina brogue down east. Sort of water's water. Water's water, water's water. Anyhow, she had a buffoon hairdo on her head. But her daddy's name was Weldon. My daddy's name was Eldon. Her daddy was a builder of churches. My daddy was a builder of churches. My daddy came from the mountains. Her daddy came from the mountains. There were so much similarities. They were very energetic men. They couldn't stay still very long. They had to be doing something all the time. And I remember the first time I told Nancy I loved her. I did it in the Greek language, being a scholar I am, being intelligent like I am. I didn't have enough courage to say it in English. And I said, Ego agapese, which is a takeoff of... She said, what's that say? I said, I said, Ego agapese. She said, what's that mean? I said, Ego agapese. <laughs> so I just left her hanging. She went to the Greek teacher and asked. He says, well, what he's trying to say, Nancy, is I love you. Ego, I, I'll go, agape, love, say you, I love you. I know that probably wasn't the right syntax, wasn't one of the ways they said but I knew what I was saying. And from that time on, for every letter we wrote, I put Ego Agabase. I love you. My little birdie. That's what I called her. 
And she would write back and write, my dear hunk. <laughs> she called him like she saw him. When I say that, say this, God directed my life. I started pastoring a church when I was in Alabama. Went to Alabama for a year while I was in college. Drove back and forth. Nancy and I got married and went to Alabama. Saturdays we'd visit all day long. And then we'd go to church on Sunday in a little building. I was telling Willie last night, one, one little building. Sunday school class in this corner, Sunday school class in this corner, Sunday school class in this corner, Sunday school class in one building under one roof. 25 people that God gave us to pastor. Boy, I enjoyed that. I had a great time. Eventually we got up to 75 people. So we started to build, and we built a basement before we did the top. And I helped build the basement. I learned so many things there in Alabama. Then I got a call to come here to pastor. 1971. I don't look back. I'm grateful for God's blessings and directions on my life. I've not been everything I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And I'm grateful for the trip that God's put me on and the purpose for life. I have three or four more points, but I'll not give them all to this morning. I may finish it tonight. But a purpose for your life. Paul said for me to live as Christ. What's your purpose for living? Can I ask you why you got up this morning? Why are you living the life you're living? What's, what's the purpose of it? Well, it may be a good motive. It may be to provide for my family. Nothing wrong with that. It may be to be a good, good person. Nothing wrong with that. But have you been saved by the grace of God, giving your life to Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, here's my life. Let it be completely consecrated to Thee. I take my hands off. It belongs to You. Remember, your body is not yours. If you're saved, you've been bought with a prize. And when you get bought with a prize, that's the blood of Jesus. He said, it's not your own. It belongs to Him. I'm sorry when I sinned. When the girls were singing that song a while ago, I started thinking about some things I thought that I shouldn't have thought. I think there's some things that I was tempted to do that I'm glad I didn't do, but so tempted to do things wrong. He said, you get saved because you're not tempted more. No, no. When you get saved, you're tempted more. you got a battle on your hands because the devil don't like it. He's going to give you a fit. The important thing is trust the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Let Him come to be your Savior and Lord in your life and make a difference in your life. You have a purpose. You have a plan. You have a point. You have the power in Philippians chapter 4 to live the Christian life. Don't let it pass. Make best of the opportunity to come your way. Realize your need. Trust Christ. Let somebody pray with you and help you along your life's journey. I'm glad somebody took time with me to help me all my life. I'm grateful for mentors and people that stood by and gave me instructions all along the way. Made a tremendous difference in my life. For sake of time, I'm not going into the details and all that. I just simply want to say, stand fast. You need some moral background. I'll give you some areas that you need to stand fast in, perhaps tonight or next week. Some areas you've got to stand fast in. And I want to say this, and I'm closing. As we come to the end of time, yes, Jews will be persecuted all over the world. That's the Bible. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen very quickly is eventually somebody will come on the scene who will make peace with Jerusalem, make peace with Israel. He'll be the Antichrist. He'll be a personal man. He'll be able to sit down with all the Arab countries, all the Muslims, and all the China, Russia, and all of them, and bring peace to Israel and make a covenant with them, make a treaty with them. And for three and a half years, they'll live in peace. Not, they've not lived in peace since they come out of Egypt. They've been persecuted over and over again by every nation of the world. But God's on their side, and they're on God's side as nations now. And the time's going to come when the Antichrist will break out who he is in the middle of that tribulation period, in the middle of that peaceful time 
three and a half years, right in the middle of that, the Antichrist revealed who he is. He is the last world dictator to control this world. And they will come against Israel in four force. Jesus Christ will return. He'll come back to this earth. He fights for the Jews. And then they realize then, this is the true Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. But I just simply don't want to be here and I watch those buildings fall and watching the excavation, watching the war, guns back and forth. It's just a preamble to what's going to come all over the world and what is called the tribulation period. May God help us to be ready. May God help us to live for Jesus. Never was there a greater time to be living for Jesus than now. Amen. May God help us. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed. There may be a need in your life for salvation. There may be a need for rededication of your life. There may be a need for just surrendering your life to God like I had to do many years ago. You don't have to be a preacher. But surrender your life to God and say, Lord, take me and use me. I'm available to you. Greatest stability in the world is availability. You mind God, do what God tells you to do. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many of you can say, Preacher, if I were to die right now, or Jesus would come, I know that I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. Would you lift your hand real high and testify? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's great. That's great. God bless you. If you could not raise your hand then, if you need to come to the altar, make it public, by all means do that. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. He's a deceiver, a liar, and a murderer. He hates you. He wants to ruin your soul and send you to hell. God loves you. He wants to let you go to heaven. If you need to come, you come. Somebody pray with you. If you need somebody to pray with you. Father, take the frailty of the human words. I hope they came out clearly, Lord, with the preaching today. Lord, may you, may you seal it with your divine Holy Spirit. And may you make lodging place in the heart of all of us today about the Word of God, how important it is for us to stand in these evil days as it gets worse and worse. And the Christians will be persecuted as they are around the world. We thank you those who've already been martyred for the cause of Christ around the world. And that's going to intensify. God, help us to stand tall. It's going to take the grace of God, the power of God upon our life to live in this ungodly world. We can't be isolated, but we can be insulated by having the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. If we die, we die bravely. We die for the cause of Christ, worthy of death. He's excellent. He's the excellent one. He's King of Kings. He's our Commander-in-Chief. Help us to live for Him as the day comes. We change the world. 